Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw, and today we continue our point guard primer series, this time exploring free agents, specifically Jalen Brunson and Colin Sexton, and we have two incredible guests to do it, Nick Engstad of the Locked On Mavericks podcast and Chris Manning of the Locked On Cavaliers podcast. Come on to give you the full breakdown on their team's star players and what they would potentially look like on the New York Knicks. So all that and more right now. On Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and uh, I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. Uh, While you're listening to this, I'm probably broadcasting a couple of the best girls high school lacrosse teams in the country on the Varsity Media Sports Network, so go check that out. Remember to go check out the Strict.land, the uh, fantastic Knicks website that my co-host Alex Wolf runs. Uh, he's not here today because I'm going to be joined by Nick Engstad of the Locked On Mavs podcast first to talk about Jalen Brunson, his spectacular performance this postseason um, and what he could look like on the Knicks. And then, of course, Colin Sexton, a little bit more of a mystery man out for a long time or the vast majority of the season uh, with a meniscus tear for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, does Cleveland want him back? Uh, without further ado, let's get into it with Nick and Chris right now on Locked On Knicks. All right. As promised, we are joined by the co-host of the fantastic Locked On Mavs podcast, Nick Engstad. And Nick, uh, congratulations, man. Things are things are going pretty good for you these days. I mean, Jalen Brunson says it best. I mean, great vibes, man. Just great vibes. Like, great vibes, great vibes. Yeah, great vibes. No, sensational vibes. And, like, the vibes are immaculate. The vibes are immaculate over here in Dallas. Is, is that him on the Knicks locker room next year? Or <laughs> That's him. That's him when the Julius Randle trade goes down and he's like, all right, good. We're, we're good now. Tibbs is gone. Yeah. Randle's gone. We're good. That'll be me and Alex on the podcast when the Julius Randle right. trade goes down. Um, but yeah, uh, only only one place to start. Uh, Jalen Brunson's last two games in these playoffs. Uh, you know it, but for our listeners, I'll read it out. Uh, 41 points, eight rebounds, five assists, two steals, five of 20, 15 of 25, excuse me, from the field, six of 10 from three, five of seven from the foul line, no turnovers in a game two win over the Jazz. Game three, 31 points, five assists, 12 of 22 from the field, 0 for four from three, seven of seven from the line, zero turnovers, back to back, Mavs wins. So, Nick, I will ask you this Has Have <laughs> the last two games changed your perception of Jalen Brunson as a player? I think Brunson said this best, too. Uh, He's doing well. My son's doing well. (laughs) Jalen Brunson is playing incredibly well. It it just has changed so much of what I thought about Jalen Brunson. And here's the the narrative about him all season. And if you've listened to Lockdown Mavs at all the last couple of days, we've told this story so many times. We're going to continue to tell it as long as Jalen Brunson plays well. We had uh, the opportunity to have guys one-on-one at media day. And we were one of the stations They came through and they had, uh, so Jalen Brunson was one of those guys that came through and we sat one-on-one with him across the table, asked him a bunch of questions. And one of the things we wanted to ask him about was in the Clippers series last year, the first four games, he averaged like 20 minutes a game. 
which is like you know fine. Rick Carlisle didn't trust him a ton. He didn't. He he was he was not playing super well. He was like a negative ten in all of those games in the plus minus. Like he just wasn't playing that well. And so in the last three games, he averaged ten minutes a game. He basically got played off the floor against the Clippers, and then the Mavs lost. And if the Mavs had gotten a little bit more, they lost in seven. If the Mavs had gotten a little bit more from Jalen Brunson, it maybe have been a different story last year. Then we asked him at media day, what do you guys have to do to take that next step to win a first round series to get to the point where you guys are, uh, where you personally, Jalen Brunson, are having an impact on the series? Because he did not. He did not have an impact on the series last year. And he he had been joking with us before and laughing and we had been having a good time and he got real serious and was like, you know, we got to be better. I got to be better. And you could just tell how seriously he took that series and how seriously he wanted to improve upon last year and get better. And so all year we've been talking about, hey, this play from Jalen Brunson is great this year. He's been playing way better in the regular season, more 20-point games, more, you know, games with seven, eight assists, you know, things like that. We've been seeing improvement across the board from Jalen Brunson, not getting played off the floor defensively. All that stuff had improved, and we said – we just got to see what it is in the playoffs. We just got to see at the at a higher level, at a higher level of basketball, what it looks like for Jalen Brunson. And he goes, hey, let me just go 30-40-30 with two wins without Luka Doncic in this first-round series. Like, he has just answered the call at every turn. Who do you think he is as either the best or I, – I know this might be sacrilegious, but in a hypothetical scenario we went to the Knicks, the co-best player on a team, what, what is the ceiling of a group like that? Obviously, there are a myriad of other variables there, but – but looking, again, maybe as the Knicks specifically, um, who do you think he can be? Who do you think that team can be with him as sort of an alpha dog? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, you start looking at, you know, R.J. Barrett. Like, R.J. Barrett has way more tools and, like, a, like talent, I think, probably than Jalen Brunson. But Brunson is so I, – I say all the time, like, he's got the full box of Kraft mac and cheese. Like, that, he, has, he is so crafty. The way that he can score and the way he can get his shot off against most anybody. He struggled against length this year. And until this playoffs, you know, this playoff run, like he's taken Royce O'Neal's lunch money all <laughs> this whole, these first three games. But, um, but yeah, I, I would think that I'm not, I'm still not sure that Brunson is like a number one option, right? Like, I don't, I don't think that still, he is, he's proving it right now against this jazz team, but this jazz team probably has some, some more issues that, <laughs> that we can talk about, but I'm not sure he's your lead, lead a team to a championship level player. Um, so I would I would hope for the Knicks, for if I'm a Knicks fan, that R.J. Barrett still d- develops into that guy, right? The second half of the year, what we saw from R.J. Barrett, that's a, a level that he can take to another level and p- possibly become that type of player, where then Jalen Brunson plays the same role that he's been playing next to Luka, right? It's like the, the guy that can get you buckets when you need it, that carries the offense when he's off the floor, that um, maybe fills in in a bind, and the Mavs are in a bind right now, and Brunson's filling in just fine. Yeah, I don't, did you see that video of um, his moves cut together with Steve Nash's moves? And I know he was saying Nash was one of his favorite players growing up. That's why he wears uh, 13. Dude, oh my God. He looks he looks like a clone. It's really, I mean, that, that'll that be an immediate connection between him and RJ Barrett, uh, hypothetically. Um, I'm also, it's been a big point of contention recently, not maybe not contention, but conversation. Um, if Emmanuel Quickly's earned the right to be the point guard for the New York Knicks, a guy who just mm. finished the season on, on such a torrid run, and I guess I, I think offensively him and Brunson would be such fantastic fits together because they're both really intuitive players. IQ is a lot of that same craft. Um, Obi Toppin, I think, fits into that mix very well. R.J. Barrett has some of those qualities, too. Defensively is where that would be my concern. So, I mean, this is this is getting a little insular, but how has Brunson done guarding bigger players in the past? And is that a role he can take on or, or you think that would be a situation where those two would mostly have to play a part? 
Yeah, you, you look at Brunson and he's stocky. Like he he doesn't get pushed around a lot. Like Bogdanovich has tried in this series to push him and push him off of his spot, and he can't really. He has to rise over the top of him, which he can because he's like six nine. He's like six nine, and Brunson is you know six one or whatever. But yeah, um, but he's stocky and strong, and so he can hold his own. He's been he's been way better defensively this season than he has been last year. Last year he got really taken advantage of, but. You also have there are also apples and oranges seasons because the Mavs defensive strategy with you know new head coaching staff and a better defense overall has just been so different that it's hard to kind of single out and say okay Brunson has improved so much defensively that I think him and quickly would be okay together defensively if we're talking about them as like a starting unit on the Knicks next year. Um, the Mavs play as a team defensively so well. Like they, there are moments that are being tweeted out from Game Three where you just look and you say, "Who is this team? Like, is this this can't be the same team that was coached by Rick Carlisle the last couple of years where you know they're losing assignments, they're just you know they're dying on one on one situations. Like this team plays so well as a team defensively, they're all so interconnected that it rises. You know the what is it the a tide rises all shit, a raising tide rises all ships. Like sure. all the ships are being raised with the Mavericks. And so Brunson is being made to look better as a defender because of the rest of the defense. And, you know, so it proves that he can be part of a team defense. That's like that, which I, I guess is something that, you know, if you're a, a Tom Thibodeau coach team that you want to know, like, can, can he survive in a, in, on a team like that? And so far it's proven that he can. Yeah, I think Quickly's wingspan gives him a chance against some bigger guards, but there are certainly matchups where that would be problematic. But Nick, right now, that is a complete hypothetical. And I'm, I'm curious just how high my hopes should be. We had Lauren Gunn of, of Mavs Moneyball on a couple months ago. It was Love just fantastic. Uh, yeah, on, on your recommendation. Um, and she was great. And she mentioned that she felt like Brunson's investment in the Mavericks, his relationship with Luca, would all ultimately win out and lead to him coming back. Obviously, Knicks fans and, and some people who report on the Knicks have a fairly different perception of the situation. He's known to have connections with Leon Rose, with World Wide West. Um, and Nick's brass has been present throughout. This oh yeah. Series. They've so, been there. They've been sniffing around just, a lot. Just, just like Hawks, <laughs> just, just hanging out, just, just trying Damn to get a up. word in maybe. All right. We are going to take a quick break with Nick. When we come back, we are going to talk about, uh, what a potential trade would look like a sign and trade, maybe even a double sign and trade for Jalen Brunson to the New York Knicks. But first I got to tell you about true bill. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? I'll let you know. It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about it. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. These companies make subscriptions hard to cancel. Truebill makes it incredibly simple, just like your accounts, and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there whenever you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Truebill is over 2 million users and helps save them over $100 million. Like Matthew B says, in a matter of seconds, I saved $660 for the year on my DirecTV bill, saved $120 a year on my SiriusXM bill, and $840 on my car insurance. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now, Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. could save you thousands a year. And today's episode is also brought to you by an old favorite, Built Bar. This time of year, I've generally given up on my New Year's resolutions. I always... I always say I want to gain weight. I always say I want to go to the gym. It doesn't really end up happening. But this year, 
I am not. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right. And thanks to Bill Bar, it almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. Have you tried the puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out. They're they're basically protein-infused marshmallow, which I thought was scientifically impossible, but Bill Bar figured it out. They're fluffy, they're marshmallow, they're not just a protein bar, they're a treat, and they're covered in 100 percent real chocolate. Uh, they have some fan favorite flavors, including cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, and banana cream pie. Plus, all Bilt Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, including the puffs. They're low calorie. They're high protein. You can replace your candy bar with these. They are better. Typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. Bilt Bars are only 130 calories. They have four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. At Bilt Bar, they're all about the taste. They make it taste delicious first, then they figure out how to make it healthy. So go to Bilt.com, use promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Bilt.com. Dot com. No, no, I, I see what you're going. Well, the Knicks have a scout that lives in the Dallas area, and he's been at every single game. And we've just been talking about Brunson and talking about how, you know, they've been they've been watching him and how good he's been. And you know, he's like, oh, watch this right here. Watch what watch Brunson. He's got them. He's got them figured out. Like talking about the Jazz. Yeah. Uh, so that's been fun. But, but yeah, I, I think Brunson does have a ton invested in this organization, and I think that we see some of these like, you know, the the son of a player be more loyal than we've seen some other players, right? Like Steph Curry, like Clay Thompson, like uh, some of the, some of these players that um, like Tim Hardaway Jr. resigning this past year for the Mavs. Like, I think that, that Brunson is so invested in this group and invested in this team that I think he'll, I think he'll resign unless, unless, unless here's the unless for Knicks fans. Mark Cuban gets cute. Right. Mark Cuban gets cute. They try to do some kind of Jerry Jones stuff where he's like, all right, well, we're going to hold back a little bit. We're going to not give you the full thing. We're not going to go all out and give you the, the exact dollar amount that you want, the exact player option you want, the exact trade kicker you want. And, you know, try to get cute with it and not sign him for the full money because the Mavs would be in the, the Mavs would be in the tax next year. Like they, they have a big salary <laughs> like like list next year. And this looked like a team that was going to be a first round out again. And so we were, we were concerned before this before this series. Well, if the Mavs lose the first round series, which actually they still could. But if the Mavs lose this first round series. Is Cuban going to want to pay that huge tax number for this squad, for this team, with like Davis Bertans taking up as much money as he does, and Dinwiddie and Tim Hardaway Jr. taking up this much as he does, and so and then also add Brunson onto that. That's the that's the angle I think that that is possible, but I don't think will happen. We've just seen Brunson play so well that the Mavs are fully in the driver's seat of re-signing him, and it's just going to be about their decision to give him everything he wants, which is what they gave Dorian Finney-Smith. They gave him a trade kicker. They gave him a player option. They gave him all the different contract things that they need. And uh, and so I'm I'm not concerned about that if I'm the Mavs, but if I'm a Knicks fan, I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm just hoping Cuban gets cute with it and decides to not give him everything he wants and that he gets mad and that he leaves. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's just such a good fit next to Luca. I, I don't see you can let that go. I mean, there, it, it's, it's, I think we talked about this a little with Lauren, but it's underrated how difficult it is to find the, guard that can play with a big initiator right because you need someone with those point guard qualities with some shot creation but also just enough of an ego check to say i know i'm not the guy and next to luca i I think that's that's sort of ultimately the question i have about jalen brunson is does he want to go somewhere else does he want to be the dude or the co-dude he's on a team with luca like he's he's always number two and there's there's not any question about that 
Yeah, the only thing we've ever got from him is that he just wants to win, which like every NBA player says, which every yeah. NBA player says, like, I just want to win. But I really do think Brunson wants to win. We've seen it at the college level. We've seen him give up a bigger role to a Dante DiVincenzo, even though he was supposed to be the, you know, Brunson was supposed to be the guy that was supposed to lead that Villanova team his last year. Um, so I, I think he's going to just take, you know, take the money that, that's given to him in Dallas, loves the role next to Luca. I think him and Luca love playing next to each other. And Jason Kidd, I, for everything that has been said and that I have said and that people have said about Jason Kidd as a coach, he has been incredible with this squad and empowering players. And he said to to us a couple months ago, hey, my job in this role as the coach of the Mavericks is to win games and to get people pl- get people paid. And I honestly think he believes that. He he thought about that with Dorian Finney-Smith. He's thinking about that with Josh Green, you know, trying to get him some opportunity. He's thinking about that 100% with Jalen Brunson, right? Like that's something he definitely wants. And so we've seen the connection with Kidd and Brunson be really positive. And so that's another area. It's not like he's, you know, Chris Porzingis mad at the mad at the Mavs coach and he's thinking like, hey, I just want to get out of here at the next chance that I can. So there's a lot of positive signs in the Mavs' favor. But if I'm the Knicks, I'm, I'm still just holding on to that hope maybe. All right, well, final thing, if that hope does come through for the New York Knicks and Jalen Brunson does decide to sign with them, obviously an unrestricted free agent, so he can just go there, but the Knicks are essentially capped out. Dallas is very much capped out. It feels like a sign-in trade would be of mutual interest. Is there anyone on the Knicks that you think Dallas would specifically target in a sign-in trade? I don't know if this works financially because he also makes a whole lot of money, but Evan Fournier was an interesting name to me as another high-level shooter. Off interesting, of interesting I, as what? If I can, was, is that a sound effect or is that just your? <laughs> I thought that was that my was, dog just completely, oh. just completely being like. Uh, just poo-pooing like, Evan Fournier. Yeah, no, like Evan Fournier, get out of here. He's like, get thought, out of town. I thought that was your, I don't want that guy from the Knicks. But Evan Fournier, in, in his one of the best shooters in the NBA this year, top 15 in three-pointers made out of that group. Uh, fourth in three-point accuracy would, I think, be a clean fit off of Luka. But in your mind, Nick, uh, who, 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 who's that guy in the Knicks? <laughs> uh, if they're going to do some kind of sign and trade, I kind of think that the Mavs would, I mean, they're going to want to retool. And so they're going to want to add somebody of value. I don't know. Evan Fournier doesn't strike me as somebody that the Mavs would be interested in. They have an Evan. We, we have Evan Fournier at home. What's the what's the meme like? Hey, do you want an Evan Fournier? We have Evan Fournier at home. It's Tim Hardaway Jr. Right, um, oh, another former Nick. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You have that covered. <laughs> uh, right, which has he's been the best player out of the out of this uh, Knicks trade so far. Like the the longest lasting piece so far. I guess if yeah, if uh, any of those draft picks work out, but um, I don't know. Like quickly possibly that that's a name that comes to mind Mavs fans have loved Mitchell Robinson and what he could possibly bring and what he and Luca could do so together double double sign and trade there I was gonna say yeah so but but then all of a sudden you're talking about you're talking about a couple of pieces so yeah there's nothing there's no we've talked about this before there's nothing on this roster to me that screams like oh if the Mavs get that piece for Jalen Brunson it'll soften the blow so much that we'll feel good about it yeah, I think quickly could be that guy, but I think he's almost played himself out of being the player in a sign and trade scenario. But we will certainly see how it goes. Uh, Nick, uh, please tell everyone where they can find all of your fantastic work because you guys, uh, I, I'm not a Mavericks fan. I still listen to the podcast occasionally, not sucking up just because you're my boss. I really, <laughs> I really, really, really do enjoy it. Um, and and let everyone know. Where no they one, can no one out. is going to believe you in that. Um, yeah, no, Locked On Mavs on YouTube, everywhere you get podcasts. The same place as you find Locked On Knicks, Locked On Mavs is there. We're lurking and we're, we're screaming our heads off after these two wins. Yeah, you know, anyone who's a little fired up about David Locke's performance on Locked On Knicks can go and, and maybe enjoy that now. Uh, Nick Angstead, We're with we'll, you. We're there with you. We'll, we'll, we'll catch you later, man. Thanks so much. Anytime.
All right, guys, when we come back, it is time to get into everything Colin Sexton with Chris Manning of Locked On Cavs. But first, I want to tell you about one of our newest sponsors at Locked On. It's Shady Rays. They're an independent sunglasses company that gives you the features of $200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price. That means polarized lenses, well-constructed durable frames, and premium high-end finishes. Also, something you won't find anywhere else is Shady Rays' insane protection program. Shady Rays includes lost and broken protection in every pair. They will send you a brand new pair if you lose them no matter what happened. Give them a try, and if you don't love them, you'll pay nothing. It's as simple as that. Plus, 10 meals are donated to find hunger in America when you shop with Shady Rays. Exclusively for our listeners, head to ShadyRays.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's code LOCKEDON for their best deal of the season. 50% off two or more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses backed by over 150,000 verified five-star reviews. All right, as promised, we are joined by Chris Manning. He is the co-host of the Locked On Cavs podcast. He is the editor of Fear the Sword, the fantastic Cleveland Cavaliers SB Nation site, and he is a writer for Dive, covering the Cavs there. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's over, but congratulations on a spectacular Cavs season. I was following along. I was rooting for them the whole way. I, I thought just one of the more fun teams, one of the more fun stories in the league this year, and I, I'm sure you guys had a blast covering them. Yeah, much more fun than covering a team whose season is over like in March, uh, who's like the last couple of years, you know, post LeBron, it has been a, a slog trying to find things to talk about about the Cleveland Cavaliers. But the sure is organically fun. Uh, and the guy we're going to talk about today was uh, the kind of the big what if of not being there this year. So it's 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 uh, it was an interesting year all around. All right. Well, as you as you alluded to, we, we are talking none other than Colin Sexton today, a restricted free agent um, off reference. But uh, one of the more underrated offensive seasons in recent NBA memory two years ago, I mean, super duper efficient, uh, put up 24 points per game, uh, four assists, three rebounds, 48 percent from the field, 37 percent from three, 82 percent from the line. Um, he misses the majority of this year. Darius Garland emerges as a bonafide all-star, one of the more fun players in the NBA. Does Colin Sexton still have a place in Cleveland, Chris? I think so. Uh, I think if I had to bet on it today, that I would say like 7 out of 10 is my confidence scale on on how like I think Colin is going to be back in Cleveland. Uh, I think it helps that he's a good free agent. Uh, I think one of the small little wrinkles of this that I think bumped up the possibility is that he did switch agencies in last year. He was a CAA guy. Uh, I thought one of the big, th- I, I just think in talking to people about it, one of the things that really, the Knicks sex and chatter, I think a lot of that came from the CAA Knicks connection. I think there was a little bit of a, using the Knicks as a leverage horse a little bit, just to say like, hey, there's this big market team that will give him money. Please give him lots of money. Understandable. Um, so I, I, I would say it's pretty likely. My co-host, Evan, thinks it's like eight and a half out of 10, which is a conference call, so I'm a little bit lower than him. But I do think he's back. I don't know what the number is. I, I There's a lot of unknown still there, obviously, but I, I think it's more likely than not that he's wearing a Cavs uniform again next season. Uh, who do you think he is at this point in his career? Because obviously, I mean, th- those numbers sort of speak for themselves. And at the same time, there's been this notion that he's not necessarily a winning player and I always I take those things with a big grain of salt. I mean, the same thing was out there about Devin Booker. All of a sudden, he had competent teammates, and he lo- looks like a real winning player at this point for the Phoenix Suns. Um, but I remember, I think it was a Zach Lowe podcast. There was there was some quote that he had from a player where they would they would just go up to other guys on the Cavs and be like, you know, Sexton isn't going to pass you the ball, right? Like, don't even worry about it. And I, I get that's a, a long winded way of asking. 
who is this guy and how does he fit into a winning culture in Cleveland? How does how would he hypothetically fit into uh, what the Knicks are hoping to build as a winning culture similar to what Cleveland has? So this is, I think, the big what uh, what if of the season, the big unknown about him is because his role was shifting before he tore his meniscus. He was in a situation where Darius was being Darius Garland was being really emphasized. Darius Garland was on the way up. I think Darius Garland is clearly like the the lead of those two guys now. It is of the sex line backcourt. The land part of that is more important than well. That's, I don't want to say that. That's really, <laughs> really extremely weird sentence that I did. I committed to a bit. Yeah, it didn't go yeah. Well. that was, was good. It was good. <laughs> yeah, landed the plane cleanly there, but. Yeah. I, Garland's probably going to get a backs this summer. Garland's going to get his – he's eligible. He's going to get a lot of money. Sex, how Sexton fits in that is unclear because he was being moved more off ball prior to his injury. Not Because remember, not only was Garland ascending, the Cavs had Ricky Rubio. The Cavs had Ricky Rubio to help organize things. That you know they they were kind of trying to have Colin play more off ball as a cutter as a as a floor spacer something they really need and then he played eleven games towards meniscus and didn't come back so it's sort of unknown how he fits into what the Cavs I think are hoping to build going forward I think that if you're putting him in Cleveland putting him in New York putting him anywhere else the thing I feel confident about is that the dude's work ethic the dude's attitude all that stuff I think that can often be cliches or I think the passing stuff certainly uh, was true and alienated some teammates at times but. I think he's also grown up. I think he's playing in very bad circumstances to start his career. Those Cavs teams were horrendous uh, with with coaching changes and just bad vibes all around. So some of that I just have a hard time holding against him. But I, I don't think we really know just because of the fact that he played 11 games. And the Cavs, we didn't know. I, I We just didn't really know. That wasn't the best version of the Cavs when he goes down. It was a team that was still getting its footing, having success, but was not near kind of its apex as it happened later in the year. Who do you think he is as a guy on his own team? Because he, I mean, again, those, I'll say it again, those stats speak for themselves. Like he showed off the newfound efficiency from three point range in, in a Knicks context. It's a little weird because it wouldn't, it wouldn't quote unquote be his team. Like, it, like RJ Barrett's a consideration. Emmanuel quickly is a guy who's ascending, but I think it would be closer to that than it is in Cleveland. Do you think um, like, I mean, obviously he's not, he's not the best player on a title team, but do you think he could be pretty efficient as the alpha dog, um, for a solid team, or you, you just don't have enough evidence to say that one way or another at this point? I think he could be like a top three or four scoring option on a really good team. I think he has become more efficient. I think that the, the addition of his three-point shot has been a really key thing for him. Um, I just re- I remember being at a game in Cleveland his rookie year. He had a wide-open corner three, and he dribbled into a mid-range. And now he'd be firing that shot. He's firing up pull-up threes. Um, if people haven't seen it, just go to YouTube and find like the highlights of the performance he had against the Nets last uh, last year during the the COVID season where there's no fans. He dropped like 50 something on the Nets, and he was utterly incredible and unstoppable in that game. It was one of the the most fun performances I think he's ever had, maybe the most fun. But I I think you we also have to see how malleable he is. I think we need to see like how how far can you extend his cutting. You know, is he a comfortable off-ball shooter? Does he need the ball on his hands to be a pull-up guy? There's some little wrinkles to that that I don't think we fully know, but I do think this is a guy that can contribute to a, a better offense. Like, I, I firmly believe if you're going to put him on this Cavs team this year with how it ended up, I would have trusted him in the playoffs more than I would have Karis LeVert. That, that is where I'm at with him. I think he's a, he is bona fide as a scorer. We'll see where the defense goes. You can certainly quibble you know because of his size and everything but like I, I think the work ethic and the scoring ability is real and I think that can get you somewhere who, who do you think he is defensively because I, I almost and maybe this is this is way off admittedly not having watched a ton of Cavs games over the last few years but 
I always thought of him kind of similar to Donovan Mitchell as a guy coming out of Alabama. Like he kind of hung his hat on his defense. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen like all those old high school tapes of him just absolutely bullying people and harassing people with his size and length and athleticism and tenacity. And, and you listen mm-hmm. to him, you listen to him. He did um, a second low post reference in this pod, but he, he did an interview with Zach Lowe and you listen to him talking. You're like, Oh, this dude's, this dude's a killer. And I just, at, at least in the NBA, I don't know if he's lived up to that, but what, what do you think his upside is on that side of the ball? I think it's at least competency. I don't think he's going to be like a, a lockdown guy. I don't think he's going to be to mention Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a turnstile or just a, a human traffic cone in the way that Donovan Mitchell has been uh, for, for Utah. Um, the, like, I, I don't think if you put Colin in a playoff game, he would be as horrendous as Donovan Mitchell just, just wasn't against Dallas in game two of that playoff series. Um, what I do think is that you're never going to feel like he is a guy that can be like your point of attack guy or, or anything. I think he can hang with shooters off ball. I think his motor is going to allow him to fight through screens. I, I think like a lot of guys, if it's the right environment, it's the right coaching situation, he's going to compete. And I, I think you never really doubt his ability to compete. Do I think he's ever going to be like a plus plus defender? No, I, I don't think he's going to be that. I think he can at least be solid enough off ball, make it make guys at least work at times. But is he going to become like an apex really good defender? No, but I think he can be a guy that at least serviceable and is willing to put in the work to kind of at least make things harder than uh, than they make things harder than just some other guys might on that end of the floor. Um, I think I think this is sort of what you were hinting at before when you were talking about his offensive profile. And it's sort of interesting because I think he has a lot of the same or he would have a lot of the same questions in New York that he does in Cleveland. Um, but I'm, I'm curious if you think he has, this is, I I'm trying to think of the right way to frame this, like, like a, a passing gene, a basketball IQ gene, but the Knicks, when they really found a rhythm, quote unquote, going up against not so great teams late in the season, it was because Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin were orchestrating like this beautiful Spurs S game of like, of quick give and goes and rapid fire decisions. So to me with him, the question isn't, it almost isn't as much if he needs the ball it's can he like if he needs the ball can he get rid of it quickly in the right context or is he someone who has to sort of dribble the air out of it like get to his spots get in rhythm holding the ball for a long time or or do you think he's a guy because I mean when I watch him I I see like I see a very smart player when I hear him talk I I I hear a very smart player um who do you do you think he has that potential to to play that way um in, in the right context I think so. Like, I think if you, I, th- I think if you put him in a situation where they were asking for more uh, passing, a lot, asking for a little more movement as, as in terms of the the flow of the offense, I think he could he could ben- he would certainly benefit from that. I think his best ability as passers we've seen is really making pretty the, the kind of the direct reads. Whereas like Darius Garland can pass guys open. Darius Garland will like find Jared Allen and like create that lob out of nothing and, and maximize height and do that with a with pretty much any, like anybody. Colin will kind of make the read where it's like he's gonna get. Allen the ball where Allen maybe either can take one dribble and dunk or he's going to like get up in a little face up position in front of the basket and make a move from there. He's not really a guy that's passing guys open or like leading guys to really good shots, but he, he can be connective tissue. It's something he's grown at. I think as he, as the teammates have gotten better, as the system has gotten better, as the team has kind of ended up having better players. I don't think he's like a perfect passer. I think he's a guy that you'd want to like, 
like if you know if Barrett can be a plus creator for you, if you can find other guards, or you know maybe Randall's playmaking comes back a little bit. If you were to be a Nick, that's the kind of thing that could really accentuate him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little, little iffy there. I, I, I yeah. yeah, I, I, get, I, I yeah, as uh, I see. But like, if you can, if you can, maybe there's someone in the draft. Maybe Toppin takes the leap. Like, if he's going to be a Nick, that would be the kind of thing where if you could accentuate it. Um, like he's a guy that I think if I were to like want to, I'd want to see him on like the Kenny in like that Kenny Atkinson, like Nets offense from a couple years ago, just to yeah. see what it looks like. Because I think that coaxes something out of guys in a way that certain offenses don't. And he would be a guy to me that if you put him in that environment and you also put some other plus creators around him, or at least guys that are also pretty competent, you could, you can make that work and kind of kind of push things in the right direction. I'm with you. I think so much of good passing in the NBA is, is who your teammates are. And yeah. I, I really do believe in the old, like, like Bill Simmons thing. Like you, you play with a Larry Bird, you play with a Bill Walton, or in the Knicks case, you play with Emmanuel, Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin. Like that, that can bring that out of guys because it becomes fun and it becomes contagious. And, and I think Sexton, again, like it's clear he has, he has the IQ to do it. So mm-hmm. I, I think he, he's certainly capable. All right. Final thing. Uh, this is a little unfair because I'm, I'm throwing at you on the fly, yeah, but in a, in, a, in a hypothetical uh, sign in trade scenario, is there anyone on the Knicks in particular that would pique your interest? Because I think just from a cap perspective, the Knicks would need to send something back. And, and um, you didn't say this, but I would assume part of the appeal for Cleveland in resigning him would just be to not give up a, a guy who's an asset. Um, and presumably, especially, after missing this year you're going to get him on a contract where he is still an asset so maybe this would replicate a little bit of that if he does want to go to new york and cleveland sort of like all right we're, we're okay letting you go yeah if if it goes that route and i'm looking i pulled up the Knicks roster i think the Cavs would probably play some hardball on this um i think they would probably ask for one of like the good players on the Knicks that's like sort of young so like uh, I, so you guys don't want julius randall then uh, you know, I think they're good. I think they're pretty happy with Evan Mobley and uh, Jared Allen playing. I guess, I guess five. those guys there are yeah, similarly pretty, talented. Pretty, sure, yeah, yeah right. Pr- yeah. Pretty good. Uh, I, okay. I think they would like ask for, like, I think if you're gonna do this, they would be like, okay, we will take like some good picks, like a pick or two from you, and like do it that way. Or they would ask for like RJ. They would ask for like quickly. They would ask for like something real. Like I don't think they really like. I think they had. They were one of the teams that had some interesting Cam Reddish. I think they would probably like based on how like Reddish's value right now is probably a little bit tricky. Um, also extension eligible, all that stuff. So like you have some things there that I I don't know exactly like who or what they could ask for or even like what his price should be because the meniscus thing really complicates this, right? Yeah. Like the fact that he's coming off meniscus injury and like he was in Cleveland during the, their playing games. He looked pretty spry. He was getting in some workouts. Like he, uh, I, I think he's probably going to be fine. I would, I would, I don't, I, this goes back in the workout. The thing. I don't think he's been one of those guys that's like not taking the rehab seriously like that by all accounts, he's been very active about that. But I think the Cavs would ask for something, real in return and i don't i i would wonder what the knicks um kind of appetite for this because i want to i want to just flip this on you for a second just, yeah, just, just does he feel like a guy that with what i i guess you can't i wouldn't like assume that tibbs is like the forever coach but with what they're kind of building does he feel like a guy that actually makes sense considering not only do they have um you know they they have they have rj already who's a, who's a guy in the ball in his hands they have it quickly but they've they have Cam now, you know, they still have Derek Rose, like they, and they have, you know, uh, Quentin Grimes, like they have guys that have, that can maybe play the ball in their hands, right? Like, does it feel like he's necessarily a guy that they would prioritize in your mind? 
Yeah, I think it's this weird conundrum, right? Because I think we all, and I'm, I'm certainly guilty of it, have this tendency to fall in love with our own players a little too much in a rebuilding context. And you could say, well, I think, I mean, Emmanuel quickly flashed signs of like maybe being a, a genuine star down the stretch of the season. Oh, wow, Obi Toppin looks really good. RJ Barrett ripped off like six 30-point games and averaged 24 points per game after the All-Star break. And then you you step back and you say, all right, but this team this team sucked, and, and a lot of them sucking was because they didn't they didn't play those guys and they didn't emphasize those guys for most of the season. So I think where I go into the off season is I'm pretty content for the Knicks to essentially run it back and add a draft pick, add some supplementary pieces. If you can take a swing on a Jalen Brunson or a DeAndre Ayton, like guys that just don't take anything off the table and can essentially fit into any system, any context, um, any type of roster, uh, I'm pro that. I think Sexton, I mean, to the point of this whole conversation, is a little bit more tricky because he just he hasn't really shown much outside of being the dude. And he's he's really good at being the dude, but he's not so good at it that he should obviously be that guy. And I know that's that's the conundrum Cleveland's facing. I think that's the conundrum um, I would face with the Knicks. Um, if they were going to sign him, I would hope they do it in a way where they don't give up anything super significant. And that might be the, that would probably, I assume be the sticking point between them and Cleveland. Like maybe, um, Evan Fournier, who's a really good three point shooter. Maybe if, <laughs> if you didn't I'm, have Karis LeVert, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm good. I'm, I'm also, I'm me personally. I'm, yeah. I'm good. I'm good on Fournier. I'm good. Well, I think, I think that's the, I think Cleveland and the Knicks are both in a similar situation. The guys Cleveland wants the Knicks would, would hopefully not want to give up. So that, that might be the, the fly in the ointment of, and- of this whole conversation. And like you, if the Cavs were like, "Hey, we'll do it for the for like your pick," which is like a like after the draft, like which is uh, currently eleventh, and we'll see where it ends up based on odds. Yeah. The Knicks shouldn't do that. They should take the cost control good young player in theory. Yeah, you would think, but and then but I guess the counter argument to all this is again, like it's hard to turn down the guy who averaged an efficient twenty four points in the NBA because the Knicks, <laughs> including R.J. Barrett, don't have anyone who has ever done that. So, <laughs> and, so there's. Yeah, unless he's, I guess, like, unless it's like, hey, it's like, what if the, the deal agreed with is like 20, 2025? Like, if it's like, what is the actual price tag here? I think complicates that too. Yeah. I mean, there's, look, it, I think it's, I think it's an interesting conversation. Personally, I wouldn't go that route, but the, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Knicks held some appeal to them. I don't even know if they'd necessarily be wrong because this is a guy with a track record that no one on the Knicks has replicated so far. But with that, Chris, we'll, we'll wrap up this conversation. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for coming on again. Uh, big fan of the Cavs. One of the most fun teams in the NBA. Uh, enjoy all the work you guys do covering them. Uh, one final time. Can, can you tell everyone where they can find all that work? Yeah. Uh, find me on Twitter at CWM writes. Uh, I write at places like diamond up rocks and SB nation for the sword and check out lockdown Cavs wherever you're listening to, to lockdown Knicks right now. I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks again, man.